right back to Acts chapter 4. We're going to jump in here in a few minutes. Over the last uh, several weeks, we kind of took a, a break last week for the, the Resurrection Sunday morning. Amen. Wasn't it just a powerful weekend? Hallelujah. If you were, had a chance to be at the Reg Lanay on Good Friday, uh, we, saw, uh, we saw at least 18 people respond to the salvation call, 12 of which came down to the altar to make Jesus their Lord. We have another several uh, people that rededicated their lives and folks had come forward to, to receive prayer for healing and so on. So hallelujah. Some wonderful fruit. And, and as I look around, I, I see some faces uh, that are here with us today that were at the Reg Linnae, uh, uh for the first time with us there. So uh, praise the Lord. It's good to see you back. Amen. And today we're just going to get into the Word. The Word changes our lives. Just go ahead and get thrilled. You know, you might come in here and it might sound a little uh, different than, than and maybe some churches you've been into. Maybe, you know, we, we're, we're all about uh, excitement here. We want to be excited about the things of, of God. I tell you what, just get thrilled for the Word. It'll work in your life. Amen. Today I'm going to call this message, Judgment, the Forerunner of Revival. And in the weeks preceding Resurrection Sunday, I've been teaching a series of messages about judgment. And we know that it is not a popular message in America's churches today. It's a message that is being erased, it's being omitted. But we looked over there in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, he told the Pharisees, he says, you tithe everything, you give tithes of everything that you have, but you've omitted the weightier matters of judgment, mercy, and faith. And he said that judgment is a weightier matter. Now, when we use the word judgment, we're talking about the sentence that God will pass upon humanity for good or for bad. The decisions that God has to make in order to discern what is rightfully deserved and what's not deserved, right? To reward or to punish humanity, right? We understand. Judgment is something that tends to get people in a shell. They don't want to, uh, you know, they, they don't like to hear about it. Sometimes we talk about subjects that, that make people nervous, they make people uncomfortable. But how many of you know whether or not it makes you comfortable or not, that's not the, the, the sake of the matter. We need to hear it for the sake of truth. Amen? Amen. So today we're talking about judgment, the forerunner of revival. We're living in the times where people, they want to see a, a return to the things of God in, in, our, in our nation, in our churches. I'll tell you what, the body of Christ in America is in a lethargic, uh, uh, just, uh, uh, I mean, just a, a sickly state spiritually. We're behind in America. We're, we're, we, we've lost our fire. We've lost our, de lost our desire for the things of God. We've gotten so uh, uh, moved away. We, we've let the culture of America uh, come in and infiltrate the church. We've let the culture of this fast food mentality, it has gotten into the church. And we need, a, uh, we need revival, of course, in our, in our area, but across this nation. And we are going to see in the Word that judgment is a forerunner to revival. What the body of Christ uh, needs today is a healthy realization of judgment. Judgment is a powerful force upon the hearts of man. And we started looking at some, some basic principles in the Word of God. We saw all over there in Romans chapter 11 and verse 22, it said, Behold the goodness and severity of God. We preach the goodness of God, right? 
How many of you have received the goodness of God and salvation? Okay, half of you. We'll get the other half saved by the end of the service. But we, we've received the goodness, the kindness of God, that he demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. Amen. Hallelujah. Which we all were, right, when we needed Jesus. Hallelujah. And so, of course, God did that in his goodness. But the Bible says, behold the severity of God. And so we've been talking more about the severity of God lately. And we last, uh, uh, two weeks ago on, on Palm Sunday, we looked at some of the eternal forms of judgment, right? We talked about the great white throne judgment, as mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, where all the people that have rejected Christ will someday stand before the throne of God. And it says over there, it says, I beheld the, the small and the great stand before God in, in the great white throne. And it says judgment, and the books were opened, right? Remember it says... The books were opened and the book of life and the, all those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. There is a judgment day, there is a reckoning day for all unbelievers. But we also saw that there are eternal forms of judgment for believers as well. We looked over there in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we looked at uh, Romans 14.10. It says that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive the, the, the fruits of our labor, whether good or bad, right? That we are going to receive, according to our works, either rewards or suffer loss. Sure. Yeah. Right. And we looked into that, that, that God has some things in store for those that are faithful. Right. We saw over there in the book of Timothy how it says, uh, Paul said this, I have finished my race, I have finished my course. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, right around the 7th and 8th verse. He says, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that Jesus, the righteous judge, shall give unto me at that day. Amen. Right? We looked in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, how it says that in eternity, we will be clothed with the righteousnesses or with our works of what we have done for God in this life. This life matters. And we need to understand this, this doctrine that is going all across America today that says there is no hell. There is a hell. It is real and it does exist. Either that or Jesus is a liar. Right? We looked at the scriptures over a couple weeks ago. How Jesus said it is a place, it is, hell is a place of torment. It is a place of eternal punishment. Everlasting fire where the fire is not quenched and the worm will not die it is a it is an awful place of destruction and misery right but here's the good news is that hell was not made for us right. heaven was made for us jesus came to deliver us from eternal punishment amen so you don't have to go there you can be saved and you can be redeemed and you can have eternal life amen, amen. so we started looking at these different forms of judgment and now we're going to move into more of the earthly side of things. Can judgment fall upon God's people while we were on this earth? And the, the answer to that question is absolutely it can. Today we're going to talk about judgment, the forerunner to revival. If we are going to see uh, 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 the, the great number of people get saved, if we're going to see a great move of the, of the Spirit of God and miracles, signs and wonders, there are some things in the churches that have got to get in order. Because you need to decide what kind of Christian are you. 
are you somebody that's in it for yourself? See, and, and, and at first it starts that way, right? When you hear of the salvation that God offers, you come to Jesus because you yourself, you want to be saved. And that's understandable. I want to be saved. I am saved. I'm glad I'm saved, right? But how many of you know you cannot pursue God from a selfish standpoint? That we have to, we should grow up in our maturity where it no longer is about ourselves. But it's about what's happening in my church family. What is God's plan for the earth today? What does God want to do in the kingdom of God that is on this earth? What does God want to do, not just in your life, but in the life of the church and the life of this community? I'll tell you what, we need to, to understand that there are thousands and millions of souls out there that need what we have. And we need to understand there comes a time in our spiritual growth where we say, you know what? It's not so much about me. It's, it's not about, you know, praise God, there's things that I'm believing for and, and whatever. But it's about using my faith and my effort to see that the group, that the local body, that the kingdom of God goes to a higher point. Hallelujah. It's not about you. Have you learned that yet? Have we learned that spiritually? That I mean, my heart's desire has, has changed over these last 10 years I've been serving God. It started out with, okay, what is it for me, me, me? And then as I grow and I get, get closer to God and, and things, I start to learn that God wants me to, to, to look upon the things of others, to look upon the body and say, what's best for the kingdom? What do I have, whether it's time or, or possession or what do I have in my talents and my abilities? What does God want me to do? Where am I placed that my actions and my involvement leads to the salvation of souls? See, there's too many Christians today. They are spectators. They should be participators. If you want to make an impact, you have got to get involved. And, and believe what is best and what do you have and where do you contribute for the salvation of souls. And if we are going to move into that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, am, I am after God to know and to see what he wants to do on this earth. And I can tell you right now, if you haven't picked this up for yourself, let me just make some things easy for you. God has, has such a strong desire to see a radical change in this community, in our state, in our nation. There are, I mean, we're not going to be talking about just the trickles of people that are coming in to the kingdom of God, but we're going to be talking about the multitudes that are going to be moving towards the things of God. God wants to demonstrate his love and he wants to demonstrate his power. He wants to work miracles, signs, and wonders in our midst where people that come in with terminal diseases, they walk into a miracle room. They receive a healing touch from God. And, 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 they, and they go out and they testify. The doctors gave me up for dead. But I walked in, I heard the word, I received a touch from God, and I'm healed today. And those testimonies are to go out and to show the world that God's alive and demonstrating His power. But we think that that's just going to happen like fruit falling off a tree. It doesn't work that way. There are things that have got to get in order in our personal lives, 
and in our church lives, we need a restoration of reverence in the church. I'm not talking about family church only, you know, I'm talking about the church universal, people that call upon the name of Jesus. Our American culture has attacked the reverence that God had placed and designed to be in the, in the church. And I'm not talking about the reverence of, of just church leadership. I'm talking about the reverence of each other. The person sitting next to you is not the person sitting next to you. They represent Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Glory to God. That these people, that when you look and you see the people in your local church family, they are the ones that, that God has, has given his son for. You know, he gave him for all of us. They are his precious children. His church, his people are the most important thing in his eyes. And you better get a revelation that your actions and your desires and and what you do and what you say, it affects the body of Christ. Amen. And so if we're going to see this revival that God has in store, I'll tell you right now, there is a revival in store for not just the city of Jamestown and Chautauqua County, but there's a revival in store for this entire nation, and the devil is working right now to try to abort it. The devil is working right now in this church and against this church to try to abort the revival that we are on the, on the brink of having here. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Let me show you this in the Word. Acts 4.32, it says the multitude of them, this is talking about the first generation of Christians. And notice it didn't just say the few of them, it said the multitude of them. At this time there is, there is somewhere in the neighborhood of, of uh, 3,000 plus people in this church. So by America's standards, we're talking about a mega church size, right? We might have 300 people total here today. Something like that. We're talking about 3,000 in these scriptures. And notice that a, a large number of people were of one heart and of one soul. So it's possible for every single one of us to get into agreement, to have the same plan, to have the same mentality, that we all move together, not as individuals, but as a church. Amen. Now, we talked about this during tithes and offerings. And it says, neither said any of them that ought or any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now, that doesn't mean they were a communist group, right? That means that they just had a heart that said, God, whatever is in my realm of influence, whatever it is to serve the kingdom, I'll give it, I'll use it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, whatever it takes, right? Just, a, a, I mean, a mentality and a heart. So I want you to see some things today. I'm going to give you three points. It's going to be a real simple message, nothing clever about it. The first one is I want you to see the condition of the early church. This is the model that God gave us for what all churches in all generations should look like. Right? The first thing we see about the condition of the church here in verse 32, that it was a growing church, had a multitude of people. It was a united church, right? Completely united. Completely one heart and one soul. And it was an unselfish church. That they, they took their hands off anything that was in their possession. Oh my goodness. I can't even tell you how many Christians 
I've, talk, I've talked to that I've heard them say stuff, well, well, I would give that, but I wouldn't give that. I would do this, but I wouldn't do that. I, I, I'll serve in this department, but I would never serve in that department. I'll do this, I'll do that. I, I, I'll give this, but I won't give that. No, that's mine, that's precious, or that's for me. I have nothing in my life that's mine. That's it. Nothing in my life is my own. I consider myself a steward before God and that he's placed me to manage those resources for the kingdom of God. Amen. But we have a selfish problem in America today. Our society has lent itself to selfishness, and we have a selfish issue. So this was a growing church, united church, an unselfish church. Mine wasn't in their vocabulary. You know, I mean, it wasn't a matter of what they gave the church institution. But when they saw their brother and sister, that they, they had something that could provide a need... They didn't go, they didn't wait for uh, a special offering to be taken up. They saw someone in need, they saw a brother or sister, and they moved with compassion to provide. Because they understood that, that their life affects everyone's life. That they had such a heart for the body of Christ. Amen? Do you have that love for your brothers and sisters? Are, are you waiting to see when your brother and sister and you hear of them having a need, do you participate in their needs? Come on now. Hallelujah. We're just talking. There's nothing clever about this. This is just a straightforward message. Let's go on to verse 33. It says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Notice that it was an uncompromising church. Here they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus, right? So they weren't compromising in the word that was being spoken. And now notice they were also greatly graced. There's a great grace there. Amen. It's like this. If I could compare grace, it's like everything was working the way it should. Yeah. There was great grace there. There wasn't strife in the church. Yeah. There wasn't arguments in the church. There wasn't insults in the church. There wasn't divisions in the church. Right, right, right. It wasn't about rich or poor or white or black. It had nothing to do with that. There was none of those divisions in that church. That's right. That's right. Great grace was upon them all. It's like grace is like the oil of an engine. It is like that lubrication that allows everything to go smoothly. So many times, people, they're in churches, and there's no grace there. And they walk into those churches, and they're there to be refreshed and to be lubricated, so to speak, in the house of God. But because there is none there, they walk out, and they're just as, as, as broken, broken down and brokenhearted and depressed and busted and disgusted as they were when they came in. If there's grace upon your church, you should walk out, and you should know that there's a change in your life. Now, if you didn't participate or you didn't involve yourself in the service, well, then, of course, you're not going to get some, something. Some of you are just sitting there today, abiding your time until the clock hits 12. Get involved. Because there's grace in this place here today. There's grace in this room. Receive it. Move with it. I'll tell you what, when you receive grace, things start working. Because that word grace, it's the Greek word for ability and power. God's ability is going to get hooked up to you today. Because you sat in a place where grace was abounding, right? So it's a growing, a united church, an unselfish church, an uncompromising word church. It was a great graced church. Look at verse 34. 
It says, neither was there any among them that lacked. No one there lacked. What does that tell you? It's a prosperous church. That didn't mean that everyone in their seats were millionaires. It meant that every time a need arose, there was provision. They, they lacked nothing. Where in the world did America get the idea that God wanted people poor? Where did America get this idea that you just give your church a little bit what's left over? You know? Isn't that amazing? People will go out to the movies. I mean, they're shelling out, you know, 10 bucks for a, bu a, a bucket of popcorn, 10 bucks a ticket to see some movie or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying something that's clean. You know what I mean? But, you know, they'll, they'll do all this. They're shelling out all this cash for all their entertainment, and then they go into their church, and they bust out the same $5 bill every week. Oh, it's the church. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, people will pay more a month and a year for their cable or their satellite provider than they give to their church. And people are wondering, where's the grace? Where, why are people, why is there such poverty in the church today? Because there has been an attack of religion in America that when you show up to church, it's just all about, oh, here you go. You know, just take the little bit I have left over or I'll just give something that doesn't hurt me. Don't want to give that. That's my movie money. Don't want to give that. That's my golf money. Don't want to give that. That's my shopping money. And you know what? There's people that are sitting here and say, that pastor is so money-minded. Let me tell you what I'm not money-minded. You are. Because if, you, because if it bothers you, see, I'm not bothered because whenever time God tells me to give something, I give it. And it's not about just what you give financially. If God tells me to do something, I purpose in my heart to do it. To just simply obey. But the early church, it says none of them, three thousand church members none lacked anything they didn't lack houses they didn't lack clothing they didn't lack plenty of food they didn't lack jobs their economy was perfect you want to wonder where your escape is from the world's economy i'll tell you where it is it's in the house of god people say how am i going to get through and make my way through an economy like today I'll tell you what, the world's economy is in the tank, right? God's economy never tanks. This is what the great grace was doing. It was providing every need. There was neither, there, there, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands. Now notice it didn't say everyone possessed lands. But as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. Oh my goodness. The people in the early church that had great substance, they knew what they were blessed for. They were blessed to provide for the church. This is not a financial sermon. <laughs> 
But we're just talking about what the condition was of the early church. Amen and amen. There was no one there that lacked because people who were blessed and were possessors of lands and houses sold them, and they brought the prices of the things which, was, which they sold. This was a wealthy church. That didn't mean that everyone that was in those seats were all millionaires. But it's talking about those, the people of the church had a mindset that they wanted the church to prosper first. Who do you want to prosper first? You or your church? You need to ask yourself, what am I here for? Am I here to see myself prosper? Listen, you prosper when your church first prospers. When, when the individual prospers ahead of the church, you're in trouble. That's absolutely right. You need to understand, this is the heart that the early church said. You know, Dr. Dufresne has said this, I've, I've said, you know, uh, picked up on it. You know, it's just a wonderful illustration. If the church needs carpet and my house needs carpet, guess who's getting the carpet? The church is going to get the carpet, Right. Because that mentality is lost in America. And we're wondering why there's not this great revival. You know? Yeah. Amen. It was a wealthy church. Meaning it wasn't, I'm not saying it was a church for the wealthy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it was a church that all the individuals knew that the group, meaning the church, institution so to speak, had to be wealthy and well-to-do. And then the church provided for. God never, ever wanted the people of the world to run to the government to meet their needs. Now when people are in, in need, guess what they say? Where's the government? Where's Uncle Sam? Where's social services? Where's the department, the department, the department of this, this, and this? God's plan was that for churches to be so well supplied that when people in this world were going through a hard time, when the world's economy tanked, they would come running in and filling the churches. Unfortunately, there are more people that are through the offices of social services. They go through their doors than go through the doors of the churches. That's what God's plan was. There was, no, there was never a plan. God never permitted nations, meaning the taxpayers, to pay the way for everybody else. It was that when people had a need, they would see that God could provide it. Not the government. But, but these days, churches, they're, they're scratching and they're clawing. I mean, they're, they're having a hard time just keeping their doors open. Just to pay the light bill. Keep the lights on. God didn't say he wanted them just to have the lights on. He said he wanted them to have such a surplus that as people came in and got connected to the church, if they had need, guess what? The church moves and helps them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So it was a wealthy church, meaning that the church organization was prospering. It was a giving church. Now look at verse 35. It says, And they took these prices of the things which were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet. Didn't hand the, the money to the apostles. They laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Can you imagine if the entitlements, 
the social programs of this nation were completely eliminated, completely scratched. The government gave not one dime to anybody. Guess what would happen? We would be building buildings every year because we wouldn't be able to handle the influx of people that would come and seek God. Absolutely. They laid them down. Now notice, this is the, the, the last thing about this church, is that this church not only was, was prospering, giving, graced, one heart, one soul, unselfish, uncompromised, but here they were, they were honorable. They were honorable. The apostles, the original apostles, were still pastoring this church. This was in the days before the office of a pastor was established, so these apostles were their pastors. And they came in, and when they had, had these, these prices of the, uh, the, the funds, of the lands that they sold and whatever, they laid them down at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine that happening in America today? Where they came in and they had such honor. I have to be careful what I'm saying here because none of this is self-serving. My heart is never, you know... I'm not talking about, oh, let's start worshiping a pastor, let's start worshiping a, a minister or something. We don't do that, right? But the honor that was in that church, they, 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 would, they would bring that, and they knelt down before the, the spiritual leadership to present that and to say, here, you know, take this and distribute it as the church has need. I've had people say, Pastor, I've heard so many stories of people saying, oh, I'll give the church this as long as they do that with it. I've heard a lot of stories like that. Oh, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give uh, the church this amount of money if they use it for that. <laughs> people think that money buys them power, and it doesn't. Imagine, look, I mean, the honor that was in the church, they had such honor for the spiritual leadership my goodness and now let's keep on reading and it says in verse 36 and Joseph who was by who was by the apostles surnamed Barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation or encouragement he was a Levite in the country of Cyprus having land having land he sold it and brought the money laid it at the apostles feet so here's another honorable person in this church and now look at verse 5. Look what the first word, or excuse me, chapter 5. Look at the very first word of chapter 5 is. But. Here we go. Here we see now. Satan is going to try to infiltrate this church and try to destroy the grace that is on it. But there was a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. They sold the possession. Now let's keep reading this. And they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. And he brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? When the devil wants to stop a church, he doesn't fight against it, he joins it. Yeah. Absolutely. Here we see Satan trying to get in and destroy this church. And notice he's doing that through the church members. Ananias and Sapphira were spirit-filled Christians attached to that church. They'd served God, right? Yes. They were children of God. 
They were part of the holy nation of God, right? They were part of God's family. Here Satan is trying to join the church through a weak link. Yeah. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Look at verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Everyone say judgment. Ananias lied to the spiritual leadership of his church and dropped dead. My goodness. If that happened in the 21st century American church, that everyone that lied to their pastor dropped dead, we wouldn't have any church left. (laughs) Now let's go over this. Let me explain to you what's going on. Was it wrong? Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they had a possession. They sold it. And they brought part of the price to Peter, who was an apostle and a leader in that church. And... Uh, uh, Peter said, you know, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost and so on? Why was it wrong for Ananias to hold back part of that price? Let me explain something to you. Peter said in verse 4, now let's look at it again. He said, while it remained, or while you owned that possession of land, right? He said, was it not your own? They didn't have to sell that. No one in that church was being forced to sell their stuff and to give it. You understand? They were doing that because they wanted to. We have no record of the apostles ever taking up a special offering for it or anything. The people were just seeing that the church was blessed. Peter said, listen, you didn't have to sell that land. He said, and after it was sold, was it not still in your own power? God does not require you to give everything you have to the church. Do you understand that? He doesn't require you. But what Ananias and Sapphira were doing is that they made it look like they were selling that land to give all of it to the church. They were using their possessions and their money to bolster their reputation to make themselves look better. They were telling the spiritual leadership, listen, this is all of it. We sold this great possession to give it all to the church yea to us but they were lying god didn't command them to give away everything or to sell that or give all the money of it but they were dishonest they lied to the spiritual leadership to try to make themselves somebody in the church that is dangerous now let's read the rest of it and we're going to go back over these scriptures Verse 6, it says the young men arose, they wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. It was about the space of three hours later, when his wife, Sapphira, not knowing what was done, she came in. And Peter answered unto her, and he said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And here she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door and shall carry you out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet. She yielded up the ghost. I mean, she died. And the young men came in, 
found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Her husband dropped dead of judgment. She dropped dead of judgment. We're coming in the days and the times when God is going to want to have such power and revival in our midst that he's not going to tolerate a lack of character and godly nature. Whenever people decide to, to, to uh, uh, believe one way, to say one way, and then they act another way, they're tempting the Spirit of the Lord. Now let's go back over this. The second thing I want to show you, first I told you the condition of the early church. The second thing is that Satan looks to join the church. I heard someone say this, that Satan attends church more faithfully than Christians do. Isn't it true? The devil is always trying to join a church, attend a church, to try to get somebody. Notice Satan was trying to destroy this church by finding people in the congregation who were willing to lie. Satan was trying to destroy, he is trying to abort a revival by the character of those that are sitting in those seats. Come on now. Amen. I know. People don't like to hear preaching about judgment. Yeah. Now let's go back up there and let, let's just start uh, uh, looking at this. Go to verse 5. We see that earthly judgment was exacted upon a child of God. His life, Ananias' life, was cut short. Why? Not because of a lack of power. Not because of lack of good teaching in his church. Not because he didn't have good faithful pastors. Not because he didn't have good faithful Christian prayer warriors that were standing around him. He, his life was cut short for a lack of godly character. It wasn't a lack of power in the early church. It was a lack of godly character. Now, Ananias and Sapphira still went to heaven. But they were judged on this earth. Their lives were cut short. They fell under the judgment of God because they were messing up the local church body. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Now, if you go back up there to verse 4, look what he says here. He says, you have not lied unto men, but unto God. See, when you lie in your church, when you lie to a Christian, when you lie to your pastor, when you're dishonest in your life with God, in your local church, it's a lie to God. It might have looked like a lie to your parents. It might have looked to a, like a lie to your boss. It might have looked like a lie to your pastor. It might have seemed like it was only between men, but God said, I took it personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. And God's saying, I'm not going to let liars come in and just destroy the church. See, I'll tell you what. The Bible says over there in 1 Peter chapter 4 that judgment must first begin with the house of God. <laughs> I know, don't look all so excited about this today. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. These people were trying to improve their position in the church through a lie. They lied to leadership. It was a lie to God. Earthly judgment came upon them. They still went to heaven, but they received temporal or earthly judgment. They, re they received judgment here so they could be saved there. That's absolutely... What's going on? It is dangerous to act that way in an on-fire church. To lie in the presence of the anointing 
in the presence of callings and anointings of God, ministry gifts, how you conduct yourself in the church. Hallelujah. We need a restoration to reverence. Our society thinks nothing of lying. We think nothing of telling somebody, oh, just tell them I'm not here. Someone calls you on the phone, oh, just tell them I'm not, I'm not here. We think nothing of lying to our boss, oh, I was late because. Yeah. We think nothing of lying. Our society has developed the white lie, meaning that the devil has convinced millions of people that there are lies that are not dangerous. It is dangerous to lie. What does it say over there in Proverbs chapter 6? It says that these six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. One of them is a lying tongue. God hates lying. He hates lying. (laughs) Our society thinks nothing of lying. Hold your place there in Acts chapter 4 and 5. We're going to come right back to it. Go to 1 Corinthians Glory to God. We're talking about judgment. Your character and how you act and how you are involved in your actions in the local church, they matter. Because God is going to have revival in his church. And to have revival in his church, he's going to clean it up. He is going to clean up the church. I am telling you now, receive this as a word of prophecy. There is judgment coming upon Christians in this nation. And the old way of doing things are not going to be tolerated. God is going to demand a high standard of honesty and integrity. Ananias and Sapphira, they were talking one way, but in the back room they were acting another way. Oh, pastor, pastor, oh, oh, take this, use this for the church. And in the back room they're dishonoring. Here they are. They had false submission. They came and laid the price of that land at the feet of the apostles just like everyone else was doing. They looked like worshipers. They looked like they were submissive. They looked like they were honorable, but it was a false submission. Because though they might have acted the same way like everybody else did in church, behind closed doors, they were speaking ill. Do you know how many people our our country has learned that it's okay to trash politicians? We think it's okay to just throw out our our opinion and and say, oh, that that president and and this politician and that court justice and and, and people tear them up. Yeah. Do you know the Bible says how you talk about your national leaders is how you talk about God? Do you understand that? Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing goes with uh, people in ministry. How you treat the messengers that God has sent in the church, whether they be pastors or prophets, apostles, evangelists, and teachers. Amen. How you treat them is how you've treated God. That's absolutely right. Don't you dare. I've had to deal with it sometimes in the church where people will act one way to me to my face and then a different way behind my back. Now, of course, I... You know, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. I don't care who's saying what about me. But when it comes to the safety and the integrity of the church, 
You don't go into a church. People think they, 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 have, they can Monday morning quarterback with their pastor. And I'm not saying just for this church. I'm saying for any church, any pastor, anywhere, man or woman, if they pastor a church of five or 5,000, it doesn't matter. That these principles of integrity are going to need to get straightened out before God moves into your life. And moves into this church and the churches of America where we start to see that powerful revival. Where that reverence is restored. Where we would never dare lay our hands against the anointing of God. Amen. I would never say those things about my pastor. I would never. I would not sever that power that God has put in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. People say, well, you know, Pastor Tim, why should we reverence our pastors? And why should we we, we be reverent? Because I'll tell you why. Your pastors are reverent to you. Because I don't sit around my kitchen table talking trash about you. I look at you not as, as just a, a, a person that just walked in and sat in a chair. I look at you as the precious fruit of the earth, Amen. as the precious family of God. I look at you as, as, as the fruit of Jesus' suffering. You are the body of Christ. You are Jesus himself. And if I speak a word against you, I'm speaking a word against Jesus. I'm here for you. My heart's number one desire is to see that you go higher, that you are more blessed, closer to God, more in His will, walking in the grace and the power of God that brings blessing and provision and healing. Amen. Hallelujah. Why should we reverence our pastors? Because your pastors reverence you as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. They had false submission, false humility, lying to spiritual leadership, acting one way publicly in a different way. They had an integrity problem. They had a loyalty problem. I'll tell you what, God is going to have a hard time moving in an environment of disloyalty. Loyalty has got to get restored back to America's churches where they're loyal to their family. They're loyal to their church family. They're loyal to their church leaders. They're loyal. Glory to God. I know this is just a good old heart surgery kind of preaching. Hallelujah. They had an integrity problem, a loyalty problem. Satan was trying to join this church through their lack of integrity. Now, I told you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's start in verse 27. Talking about communion... Now look at this. Verse 27, it says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, meaning the body of Christ, drink this cup, meaning the blood of Christ, drink this cup of the Lord, if they drink it unworthily, they shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause. Everyone say, for this cause. cause. Here's your answer. This is why. For this cause, many are weak 
and sick among you and many sleep. That means many die premature. Do you know why Christians are dying young? Because they don't discern the Lord's body. They never get hooked up to their local church. And if they do, they don't operate in the loyalty that God demands and expects. They don't have the integrity. They, they act one way in church in a different way at home. They act one way to their pastor in a different way behind his back. These things, and not just in this church, but in every church, is going to have to get straightened out. Because if we don't, we're going to see judgment. And it's going to happen. That judgment isn't just an eternal judgment. It's going to happen right here on this earth. For this cause, many are weak in body, sick in body, and are dying in body. Christians don't have a problem with sickness and disease. Jesus handled it. They don't have a disease problem. They have a loyalty problem. They don't have a matter of weakness. It's not a it's not a carnal principle. It's a spiritual principle. We need to be connected to our, our local church body correctly. We need to uh, conduct ourselves correctly with integrity and with honor and reverence. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And verse 31 tells you how to make sure you don't fall under that judgment of sickness and disease. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would examine ourselves and look at our life and and say, how am I conducting myself in my church? How am I conducting myself towards my pastor, towards other Christians? Yeah. You need the body, right? You need the body. The Bible says that we are all body parts or members of Christ's body, right? It's like this. Uh, Sister Andy Durant, she used this, this illustration. I haven't heard of a better one, so I'm just going to use hers. <laughs> Amen. But it's like this. I can live without my hand. My body can live without my left hand, right? But my left hand cannot live without my body. In the same way, a church body can live without you, but you cannot live without your church body. You need to understand that. The life of God flows to those that have discerned who have understood, they've examined, and, and they've had a revelation, they know how important it is to be hooked up to their church family. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now go back there. Actually, you're in 1 Corinthians 11. Are you ready for a little pit stop real quick before we close? You're in a, chapter 11. Go back to chapter 10, and go to chapter 10, verse 21. Yeah. Yes, Lord, I'll say it. I'll say it. You ready to do a little walking through the Bible real quick? Amen. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians 10, 21. It says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Notice there's two cups and there's two tables. It's time to choose one. What table have you sat down at? Are you you seated at the table of the Lord? Meaning that you want to eat his bread. What is his bread? His word. You want to feast on the things of God. You want to hear the word of God. You want to obey the word of God. 
You can't show up to church, take communion, shout the praise, say amen, hallelujah, and then walk out and go get into the house or the tables of devils. You don't take the communion cup of the Lord and then run down to happy hour and drink the cup of the devil. You can't be doing that. You can't be shouting the praise in church and then walking out and, and, and yielding to a, a, a satanic spirit and start trashing people in church and criticizing them and trashing the pastor and things. You can't do that. You can't drink the, the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Amen. But some people, you are trying to sit at two tables. You're trying to drink from two cups. You got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and God is not going to permit that. Let me show you what you're doing. This is why I'll obey the Lord. You're in 1 Corinthians 10. Drop over there. Oh, why don't we just start with verse 8. Just I'm trying to be cognizant of time. We're getting ready to finish this up. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 8, it says, Neither let us commit fornication. That means sexual acts outside of marriage. As some of them, meaning the Jews back in the days of Moses, they committed sexual fornication, and they fell dead one day, 23,000 of them. It says, look at verse 9, Neither let us tempt Christ. Tempt Christ. This isn't the hallmark Jesus. This isn't the, the, the Mormon commercial Jesus. This isn't the Jesus that just stands there and says, Oh, I've saved you. You're going to heaven. Now do whatever you want. He says, You're committing fornication. You're breaking the, the, the standards of God. And now the Bible says, Now you're tempting Christ. That word temptation, it means to provoke him to anger. I'll tell you what, if a message like this don't scare you straight, then nothing's going to scare you straight. You're tempting Christ. Notice what it says, as some of, some of them also tempted God, and they were destroyed of serpents. People act like once you're saved, I'm just in this home-free mode and I can just go and do whatever I want and just obey any inclination of my mind. You can't do that. You're going to tempt Christ. Tempt Him to take His hands off your life. And the destroyer comes in. People wonder why Christians all over the place are dropping dead, getting sick, getting killed, getting destroyed, all this. Well... I'll tell you why. You can't have a casual relationship with Jesus and expect to be blessed. <laughs> now you understand why I didn't preach this message last, night, last week at Easter time. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll preach whatever God wants me to preach when he wants me to preach it. Think about it. They tempt Christ. Isn't that what Peter told Ananias and Sapphira? Why has Satan filled your hearts to tell this lie? To tempt the Spirit of God? Tempt Him to anger? Yeah. Now the Bible says you're tempting Christ. 
Go to Ephesians. This is totally not planned now. Don't you like just when we preach by the Holy Ghost? Because God is coming for a glorious church. Why don't you, since you're in Ephesians, and I'm going to show you some things, why don't you start, first of all, at chapter 4, and why don't we go over to verse 30. Amen. People say, Pastor Tim, this isn't the kind of messages that grows churches. Yes, it is. This is, the, this is the kind of messages that grow churches right. Amen. Say, well, I came because I, I thought this was just a, a young, hip church cutting edge. It'd just be, yeah. Well, praise God. We just believe we are on the cutting edge, but we're on, we're on the cutting edge of the word. <laughs> praise the Lord. Verse 29, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of deception, uh, 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 the day of redemption. Notice, you can provoke Jesus, you can tempt Christ, you can tempt the Spirit of God, and you can grieve the Spirit of God by what you say. You're in Ephesians, go to chapter 5, verse 20, let's start there, in 24. Ephesians 5, actually can start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So this is what Jesus did for us, he gave himself for the church. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. That why? Look at verse 27, he's not done. That he might present it the church to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle Jesus isn't coming back for a lion church he's not coming back for the false humility church he's not coming back to the disloyal church he is coming back for those that will be a part of his body with integrity and honor that will, will examine themselves, that they will, they will make judgments about their own selves. They'll take it to a new level. Amen. People say, oh, you know, I'm just going to go about and do whatever I want. Jesus demands. Jesus demands a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're always going to be perfect? But it means that we're always pursuing a higher level with God. Amen. I'll tell you what, there just should be standards in our life. The days of, uh, of just, we got to be careful that we don't find ourselves tempting the Son of the living God. And tempting and testing. And Do you know what that word over there, we were in Acts chapter 4, we'll just close here. Remember when it says, what Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira? Why has Satan filled your heart? Right? To tempt the Spirit of God. That word tempt, it means to test and see what will be acceptable. Test and see what will be acceptable. People are always looking for a path of least resistance. 
Meaning, how much can I do before I get into trouble? You better drop that mentality. People, it's a path of least resistance mentality with the things of God. What is the least I can do and still be in God's good graces? I don't ask God, what's the least I can do? What's the most I can do? I don't want to live at the bottom of my potential. I want to live at the height of my potential. Hallelujah. Now, I do have to take you back to Acts chapter 5 real quick to show you the result of all this. Hallelujah. People say, well, I want revival in the church. I want an active and a lively church. I want a church that's relevant and making a difference. I want a church that's bringing souls into the kingdom. It's a miracle room. People getting healed. They want that stuff. But you've got to read the rest of the story. So we saw what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11. Let's go to Acts 5.11. It says, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. God is going to restore this reverence. He is going to restore it. He's going to clean house. He's going to clean house. I'm just telling you, get right. Get right. Believe me, I, I, people say, Pastor Tim, you, you know, you seem like you're, you're, you're heaping, you know, a burden on me. No, I'm not heaping a burden on you. This is a message that it, it, it penetrates my heart. I think and, and examine myself. Yeah. I'm not excluded in this. I'm included, right? right? Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the heart that just wants to go higher and get more with God, right? And it says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Nobody in that church was trying to join spiritual leadership or be somebody. I don't have time to preach on that. It says in verse 14, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets. They laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. Hallelujah! Notice this church could not move into that revival, and until that integrity got dealt with. Yes. Satan was trying to abort this revival. There was going to be multitudes of men and women that were going to be saved. And so Satan said, quick, i got to join that church through somebody who has a lack of integrity and loyalty. i got to join that church through somebody who's willing to lie. Someone who's willing to have false submission. Somebody who has an integrity problem that they're one way in church and then they're a different way at home. Let me find my way in so I can abort that revival. God is going to have his revival. And what is going to be the forerunner of it all? Judgment. God had to remove Ananias and Sapphira out of the way. He had to. There are people that leave churches because they choose to leave themselves. There are people that get moved out of churches because the Holy Ghost moves them out. There are people in the world they don't want to move with God. They don't want to obey God. 
They don't want to live a life for God. They don't want to worship God. They don't want to praise God. They don't want to judge the sin in their life. They don't want to repent. They don't want to be right. And I'll tell you, it's going to be tough for people that want a casual relationship with Jesus to be in the flow of God. God will not permit half-heartedness. He won't. So pastor, you know, people could sit here and say, Pastor Tim, you're making me feel like I have to know everything right now. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't. You just have to do what you know. Just do what you know. God doesn't expect you to know everything right now. I don't know everything. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. He just expects me to walk in the light that I have. Walk in the light that you have. Do what you know to do. Do the simple things and do the simple things well. I mean, if you're somebody, maybe you're not called to pastor. You're not called to sing. You're not called to usher. You're not called to teach Sunday school. But maybe your part is to come in, be faithful, praise God with your whole heart, walk a good, honest, you know, a life full of integrity, to pray, to pray, pray, pray for your church, for, for your church family, to look at the things that God has given you, whether talents or possessions, and move them towards the kingdom of God. If you will do that faithfully, you will be highly rewarded. Amen. If all's you know is that when you sit in a message today and there's things in your heart that you know you've got to adjust and get right, just make the adjustments. I'm constantly making adjustments. Oh, I realize, uh, no, not that. Oh, no, got to watch it. You know, things on the inside. Just make them. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Don't be the stubborn sheep, right? <laughs> Judgment is a forerunner to revival. We are on the brink of one of the greatest revivals you've seen in this church, one of the greatest revivals you've seen in this community, and God is going to prepare the way with judgment. Now, what do we do? Examine yourself. God, I come before you today. Lord, if, like David said, if there be any wicked way in me, I examine myself. Lord, I understand that you're not holding me accountable for the things I don't know. But Father, you will hold me accountable for the things I do know. Lord, I commit myself. I am dedicating myself. I am consecrating to be more faithful to my church family. Father, to be more faithful to the things of the word of God. To discern the body of Christ correctly. To understand that it's not about me that it's about everyone that sits here. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. Father, we understand that you want to do some fabulous things in our midst. Father, you want to do fabulous things in America. And integrity problems, disloyalty, dishonor, the devil is trying to move those things amongst the, con- amongst the congregation to try to abort this revival. And Father God, you won't let that happen. And we won't let that happen. For too long we've been too casual about the things of God. 
where we can just go to church and shout the praise and then go sit at the table of devils. We can sit around and tell dirty jokes, participate in dirty entertainment, and talk harshly to our spouses, and criticize other Christians, dishonor our pastor by what we say behind his back, all these things. Father, we're, we will be a house of integrity. Yes. We'll be a house that longs to see your power in manifestation. But we understand, we first judge ourselves. And the wonderful thing is, Lord, is that we don't have to be judged. We can just judge ourselves. That we be not judged. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. With all heads bowed and every eye closed, before we close here today, I just want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. As I look amongst the congregation, there's people that I don't know personally. And so I just never want to assume that you've gotten your heart right with God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God never wanted judgment to come on anybody. God doesn't plan judgment for you, whether for the believer or the unbeliever, because there, he made a way for us to be forgiven. He made a way for us to be in right standing with him. He made a way for us to be right with God. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today's your day. Or maybe today, as you hear a message like this, you understand that you've had one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Maybe you've been sitting at two tables, drinking from two cups, having the cup of the Lord, but sitting down with a cup of devils as well. Time to move away from that. Time to get dedicated to God. Time to live right. Time to pursue integrity and honor and righteousness. Amen. So if you're here today, and if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm just going to simply ask you to lift your hand. As soon as I see your hand, I'll have you put it right back down. And then I will pray a prayer, and you can ask Jesus to come into your heart, right there in your seat. If that's you, I just want to know who I'm praying for. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, if you just want to lift your hand, I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Is there anyone else? You want to make Jesus your Lord? Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, but you know you're just not, you know you have not made the adjustments. Again, it's not about what you don't know, but what you do know. And you still haven't made the adjustments that God's calling you. And if you'd like to rededicate your life today, could you just lift up a hand? I'd like to pray for you as well. See that hand, 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 that hand. I see several, several hands. This is good. You know, I've been told before, people have said, Pastor Tim, I walk out of your church feeling guilty. No, you don't have to. <laughs> you can walk out knowing that God heard you and you're forgiven and you've started a new life with new decisions for Him. Let's all pray this prayer. All pray this. If you lifted your hand, no matter which one you lifted for, you just go ahead and you pray this, these words out of your mouth. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in my heart 
that you raised him from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord Jesus, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Dear Lord, I dedicate myself to live for you, to please you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.